Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, we're here with Josh Wilson with JW Holdings. He's in New Orleans. Josh has created a portfolio of about $15 million in real estate. He's managing the Burr Bootcamp, and we're going to get into it, Josh. Thank you so much for being here. Let's just Kick it right off. Start off with a story, man. Can you tell us about one of the hardest, most difficult real estate transactions you've ever faced? Oh man! So uh, one of the one of the biggest, I guess, the hardest transaction I've ever encountered was we were dealing with a property that I bought thirty four thousand feet up in the air. Right. So what? I'm flying up in the air. My wife. I'm sitting there, and you know, I say, "Hey, we got this deal from this wholesaler." I ask her, can you run comps? So she runs comps. We're you know on the on the plane Wi-Fi. You know things are dropping in and out, and uh, you know we, we finally underwrite the deal. We're like, okay, we're gonna do the deal. So I call, uh, text the wholesaler. We saw the video, the walkthrough, saw it sight unseen, and I, as soon as I land from the plane, I send over the earnest money deposit to the uh, to the wholesaler, and bam, we're off to the races. Well, we close on the deal. The project manager goes to the property and he says, Josh, have you ever been here? And I was like, No, I have not. And I was like, Why? What's going on, man? I was like, It looks like a great property. I mean, you know, it looks good you know it's like well got one little problem it's like what's the problem he was like you ever been to a bowling alley i'm like yeah i've been bowling he's like well imagine taking a bowling ball and we're just gonna let it roll all the way to the back of the property he's like we have massive foundation problems here oh boy i'm like oh my goodness and so anyway so needless to say had massive foundation problems $45,000 bill for foundation. We ended up actually selling the property. We barely broke even. And the guy that bought the property, we had bought all this material, right? Put all this material in the property. And we we're like, look, man, you could just have it. Like we were thinking like you could have the material. It was flooring. It was cabinets. Just trying to make the deal sweeter for him to buy the property. Well, I find out at closing that he's knocking it down. So um, he ended up knocking the damn thing down and took all the materials as part of the, the project, as part of the sale. And uh, that was probably for me one of the uh, like the hardest transactions that I've encountered uh, as of late and that I probably will never buy a property uh, from an airplane ever again. Dang. Well, it's like if yeah. you would have known he was going to knock it down, you could have saved yourself 45 G's and had some profit margin. Yeah, right. Exactly. That was kind of the uh, that was the kind of the precedent. It was like, I would have known that from the beginning, but yeah, he ended up knocking it down and building a brand new house on the line. So pretty crazy stuff. So it's like, okay, so you do the Burr Bootcamp, Josh. Let's talk about that. So obviously this is a very common strategy. Can we talk about what you do differently that other people utilizing this method yeah. might not be familiar yeah, with? Tim, that, that's actually a great question. And a lot of people say, man, all right, I know the Burr method. Or I know a little bit about the Burr method. You know, is that like the bigger pocket stuff? And yes, we do the Burr method. It is similar to like the bigger pockets. But that being said, we add our own little touch onto that. And it's a little piece that we like to call vertical integration. And vertical integration is a massive powerhouse that you can use inside of your business that not a lot of people are using. A lot of people just go out, buy rental properties, and then all of a sudden they got like a portfolio of 30 properties and they're like pulling their hair out or getting gray hairs like me. And, uh, you know, and they don't know what to do next. So what we have done is we ended up building individual companies all throughout the pipeline of our uh, of our real estate. So the easiest example I like to say is imagine you buy a property, you buy a house, and every time you buy a house, you are creating a new customer for a variety of different businesses. And so that's exactly what we do. We buy houses and we create customers for our individual businesses like landscape, pest control, painting, rehab, property management, sales brokerage. Uh, 
we actually we're looking at insurance right now. We're trying to figure out possibly doing an insurance brokerage. So uh, we're trying to basically buy all the income streams that come with uh, owning uh, a rental property. Fascinating. So essentially every house you get creates seven streams of income. That's correct. Or or so. Yep, that's correct. Every every single property we buy creates income to multiple entities. That's crazy. You buy 100 properties a year. Yeah, we're like seven hundred customers essentially. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. So we, if we buy hundred properties a year, that's a hundred new customers for that year, right? So it, it's a lot. It's a lot of it's a lot of different income. But the great thing about it is, I was I'm heavily invested in real estate, so I wanted to own other pieces of the channel. You know, I wanted to own other pieces of the supply chain, so that in the event that real estate for whatever reason dried up or it just slowed down or whatever, I mean, any other, I just wanted to be diversified. And so now we can offer those services to other investors, to other home owners and still cre and create income, but also have a great foundation just with our own properties because we're feeding ourselves our own business. So if we were going to pay like a landscaper, right? We we're already going to pay somebody to do that. Why not just keep it in house and do it yourself? You're going to pay a property management company. Why not just build your own and have your own property management company? You have more control. Same thing with insurance. You're going to pay an insurance broker. Why not you make the commissions instead of somebody else? So that's kind of our thought process behind it. Let's play some dabbles advocate here. So love it. So you're, you're getting in the income coming in, you're getting some control in, but there's a lot of people out there that say specialize, get really freaking good at what you do, go crazy with it. Like, why does this work for you? And why do you think this is better than specializing? As in like, is in like doubling down on like, uh, like just rentals or, or whatever? Finding more properties, right? Like obviously you're making good money burring, making good money in the fine. Why do you feel for you and your business, it's better to, to, to broaden out than to get more deals? Matt, that's actually a great question. And my answer to that is this, is that when you get to a point where you're, you know, you are setting up yourself for success and you are, you know, you have teams in place and, you know, the, the, the properties start to run themselves. Like for instance, right, the first entity that I created was my property management company. So once I got that going and once I was able to start buying properties and then popping them into the wheel, it became really easy to start doing other things. And so as, as an entrepreneur, just like we all are here, right, you get bored, you get bored, you get tired, you're mm -hmm. like, I need to do something else. I need something else to excite me. And so uh, that's kind of a reason why I decided to do it is because I would create a company, it would start thriving. And then, you know, a year later, so I'm sitting here going, okay, now what, you know, I, I need another, I need another spark. And, uh, and so that's what happened. So then I started just what I did was I looked at my PL. I looked at my PL and said, okay, who am I paying the most? And how can I drive that back in house? And that's what we did. We started, yeah. we started taking pieces off the PL. Another one we're actually thinking about doing dumpster company, right? So we do a lot of rehabs every year. So we're paying clean house. Yeah, yeah. We're paying these guys fifteen hundred dollars a you know a pop. You know, we can start taking that money, putting it into our own entity, and then starting uh provide that service to other investors. We just created another company, another income stream. Let's talk about the PL. Yeah. So on the PL, what do you need to see before you're like, okay, so you got you got your attention span, which Tim and I can highly relate to loving the variability, but then you've got the PL. So describe the moment and the balance between your basically your squirrel chasing modality, which we all have, and the PL, how do you know like now's the time to add the new the new company? Yeah, so for me, I think it's you know for me it was like it's on it's honestly a number. So when we hit over, when we're paying a, a vendor over one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. I feel mm -hmm. that we have enough there to be able to go and open up a new entity and really start ramping up and getting it going. So reason for landscaping that was our newest one that we just recently did, and we hit that one hundred fifty mark, and I knew I was like, okay, we got to start thinking about you know taking this out the uh, the channel and putting it into our own entity. So. 
it's really just a numbers game for us. And and when we when we start paying people a lot, like in the other one right now is insurance, right? That's one we're really like trying to figure out. Okay, we're paying in premium every year. I mean, anywhere almost three hundred thousand dollars a premium. It's it's insane. So we're like, okay, how can we piece that out? But then there's licensing and all that that goes with it. So I don't have the brain capacity to deal with that right now. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to pick apart the easy ones that are we're already using, you know. So yeah, I, I get you can you can definitely get squirrely and go down that rabbit hole and, and and lose sight of everything you're doing. But we set our companies up so that they can run and operate without me, and uh, so I can then you know be that visionary and start creating ideas and and you know investing. Let's kind of jump into this a little bit. So you say you're the visionary, right? So when do you define when you start a new business and when you put systems in place, when is it your time to get out? Like, how do you know when you're ready to just hand that off and give that to somebody else to take over? For me, it was, it, I had a turning point when I went to Key West, Florida with my wife and my kids. I was sitting on the beach with my cell phone in hand, taking maintenance calls, taking leasing calls, um, taking vendor calls. Where's my check? Um, I mean, you you name it. I did every single thing. So that turning point was, that, that was very profound for me because I said, you know what? My kids are trying to enjoy me at the beach and I can't even play with them. I'm sitting there. I'm physically there, but mentally I'm not there at all. And so that was like a, a, a moment for me where I said, you know what? I got to figure out a way. I'm going to make less money, but I got to figure out a way that I can scale this so that I'm not sitting here wasting away my time uh, with my kids and just trying to you know, build this company. So that was a turning point for me. And so that's what I did. I made a change. That day after we got back from that trip, I immediately put in an answering service. It cost me a couple hundred bucks a month. And I don't know why I didn't think of it before. I still have the same answering service still to this day. And we set up a call tree and we have live answering and it works beautifully. We don't have a, we were going to hire somebody to answer the phones. But then as you know, humans, we get sick, we lose jobs, we get divorced. There's a thousand different things that happen. So I said, you know what? I want to have something in place that can be answered 24 seven so that I'm not having to sit by my phone and wait for the next emergency to happen. And so that's what we did. We instituted that. Then we started instituting other things. Like we outsourced our maintenance coordination service, uh, just little, little pieces of the puzzle that we just started bringing. Uh, together and uh, that allowed us to to scale to where I could literally I, I can be here with you guys right now and our rents are still getting paid our you know phone calls are being made and answered and uh, maintenance is being handled and I'm not having to make decisions and rely on me. Love and just to, to go into Tim's question. So you gave us some really good insight in that question as far as what the turning point was to knowing that you needed the systems and even the degree what you did to go deeper on Tim's questions. How do you know when a business has arrived on those systems to go ahead and move to the next business? Yeah, I mean, you know, that that's a tough one. Uh, I would say, you know, when a business has arrived, I mean, you know, you have to be you have to be out of that business that you literally have to be operating from a high level. Um, at that point, um, you can't be needing deep in the business. You can't be making, you know, uh, a thousand different decisions every day. You need to have that integrator or that uh, COO type um, person in place to help you run and make those decisions to where you can essentially say, you know what, I want to do this. And how can we get that done? An example for me is is like, we have have a marketing and automation team that we work with uh, very hand in hand. And the other day we were trying to figure out how to link our payment processor to send out an email so that then we would get login credentials to come back to somebody else. And, you know, she's like, well, that just 
you know, she was like, I understand what you're trying to do, but that just, it's not how it works, you know? And I was like, I get that, but I was like, that's what we needed to do. So let's figure out how we can make that happen. Because once we do, then we have eliminated that process out of our uh, SOP. And, uh, and so she's like, I'm on it. I got it. You know, so having the vision to be able to do that and be able to operate from a high level, I think is very important because when you are a visionary, when you are a CEO, when you're operating like that, you need to be able to expand your mind, be able to expand your brain and have a break from not being such an integrator every day, you know, not signing off on checks every 20 seconds, you know, not approving batches of payroll, you know, like those are Mm -hmm. things that I used to do every day that I don't do anymore. And, but it has allowed me to free my mind up to literally come up with great ideas and to build new companies and to have a vision so that I can drive all of our team members forward. We have, uh, we have many team members all, actually they're all around the country. We have some, we have VAs in the Philippines. You know, we got, I have a business in Orlando. Uh, we have, you know, we have team members all here in New Orleans. So you need to have a leader. And, and, and I, I really do. I, I think it's, it's very important because if you don't have a leader, nobody knows where the hell they're going. Everybody's got their head down in the sand and just kind of chucking along uh, every day. And eventually you're going to have turnover. And the one thing that I found over the years that's been the hardest for me is that, you know, is making sure you're putting quality people in the right seats, you know, because you can put the wrong person in the, in the, what you think is the right seat. And man, it would just destroy your company. And you have to recognize that early on and be able to fire quickly because otherwise your company could tank really, really quick. Love it. I want to dial this in into a scenario. You got 150 G's, which is your number, 150 G's right now. You've got a vendor you're paying too much. Walk us through step-by-step, like, how do you find this person? How do you like get the feely feelies and like, like even what's your hiring strategy? Like, obviously you're trying to probably hire high level, kind of talk through that. And let me piggyback off that really quick. Like you mentioned visionary and integrator a lot there. So I imagine when you're starting a new business, you're looking for an integrator too, right? So how do you find that person? Yeah. And how do you establish those roles? Yeah. You know, for me, I got lucky, man. I got a, uh, I have, I have a quasi, a COO, I guess you call it. He's, he's in the Philippines. He's been with me for seven years and I got so lucky. And now I take that and I've done really well with him and I've kind of taken those things that I've learned that I did well with him. Him and I applied them to another business that I have in Orlando, completely outside of real estate. And, uh, and I did the same exact thing that I did here in that business. And so found that, okay, where are our pain points in the company? So where are, you know, what is our bottlenecks? And so then I just, all we did was we compartmentalized every single process. So, you know, for, uh, for example, right, for the, uh, for the management side, okay, we have multiple phone calls that come in a day. It's all the same shit, same stuff. It's just different person calling. So, all we did was we boxed that out and we said, okay, uh, you know, this person's calling because they need a copy of their lease. Okay. How does that look? Like how, how do we process that? Or how can we automate that? Or this person's calling because they want to submit a non-renewal notice. Okay. How do we handle that? How can we automate that so we can eliminate that phone call? Easy enough. Create a form on the website, zap it into our software. Bam. It automatically populates under the tenant. We get a notification. We got a new uh, move out notice on the board. And that's it. We didn't have to touch it. And so now that's what we've done. We started to try to automate those things. We use a great software, by the way. Appfolio is our software that we use. Tremendous amount, uh, mm-hmm. tremendous software. 
makes my life 10 times easier, makes our, our PM's life a lot easier. And, uh, but that's what we've done over the years. So like, I, I've just, I've found that, you know, when I found Aaron, Aaron is my, he's my, essentially my operator. When I found him, you know, he came into an accounting role originally and he just did so well and thrived so well that I, I thrusted him into that other role, which is more the operator role uh, in about, maybe about three years or so. And ever since then, he's just taken off, uh, you know, bull by the horns and really can drive the systems of the vehicle, of, of the vehicle, uh, which is our property management machine. And uh, so I, I think it, I don't think there's, you know, there's not going to be a magic formula. There's no magic time or word or person. You know, you just got to feel it. You just, you just know when you just know, you just know when it's, when it's that person. There have been plenty of people that I have met and that I've interviewed that have worked for me that I knew they just were not that person, you know, and you just know, you just, yeah. you know. And, and to, to know that your COO is overseas, is just even more tremendous because these people are solving your CO low level problems from overseas with probably little to no understanding of how these types of software things work. How did, I mean, were you training him and then he got it or was he able to self-learn? No. So, okay. So I trained him in the beginning. He was not fluid on, on my software, on my processes. We sat down for probably, I don't know, we met maybe for six months every day and just went over problems. I mean, every day it was a constant, like I got this boss, what do I need to do? And I would explain to him the problem. He would then document the SOP and stick it in a file. And like, we did that over and over and over. And then eventually he started understanding that it was the same things happening. Just it was a different person. It was either a tenant. It was either vendor. I mean, it was just, it was, it was just the same thing. Um, and so that has allowed us to really scale. Um, that's the great thing about property manager real estate is that it's a lot of the same stuff. Uh, occasionally one off, you get these crazy little things, you know, um, like today I got a call just before I got on this podcast about a zoning issue. We're trying to get a power. We're trying to get a, a meter in and my project manager called me. He's like, we got a massive problem. You know, I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. it's probably not massive, but let me hear what it is. And, you know, as, as you get seasoned, you know, right, you're just, you get accustomed and you get numb to problems. You know, you're just like, okay, it's a problem. We can solve it. You know, it may take money. It may take time, but it can be solved. So we had an issue with a zoning issue. We have a nine unit complex and uh, we're trying to get a meter in, electric meter in, and the city is saying it's zoned as a single family. So that's a problem. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so now we're, uh, you know, we're just going to have to go to zoning and figure out what the hell, who's not talking to who. And, uh, cause the building has been there for like 30 years. So, so, you know, somebody's not talking to somebody. And so we just, we just got to get that figured out, you know, but, um, but like an example, right. What, what would you like my involvement in that, that problem is going to be probably very minimal. We're going to send that off to our attorney and the attorney is going to handle it. And I'll probably just get an update as to where we are and get CC'd until the problem is solved. You know? And that's the great thing about being the visionary, being the CEO, is that you then learn how to become the orchestrator of the choir versus, you know, actually singing the song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you were just describing operator versus your overseas COO for a new business. Like, how do you, how do you get yeah, so we So the operator, the operator we have here for the property management company overseas, I uh, have another operator in Orlando not overseas, they are local. And again, it was just one of those things where that business could not be run remotely. It had to be someone on site. So we needed someone with eyes on the ground, you know, be able to handle problems that occur. So 
that's just the difference. Perfect. So you evaluate the need. If it's basically a virtual business that could be run virtually anyways, grab someone overseas. If not, I want to dive into, into the interview processes. So you hired an accountant that obviously grew into more. Maybe there wasn't a plan for more at the beginning. Did you like hire the absolute best? I know when most people go overseas, they're trying to minimize costs to the max. So what sort of criteria did you set to find the person? Yeah. I mean, originally, you know, I, I wasn't, I was, I was not looking that I wasn't looking overseas to find a operator per se. I was looking to fill an accounting void. So that, that one particularly just kind of fell in my lap. Um, and you know, it just, it, it honestly, I'll be honest with you though. I have found great, great operators, great accountants, uh, marketing folks. Half of my team is all around the world. Um, and it's just because I feel like you can get the best of the best, uh, from people that are working from home, uh, that are just, you know, they, they want to travel, they, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, but that's, I feel like that's where we're headed. That's where we are today. Um, I know there's a lot of people that are pushing to be back in the office environment and I get it. Like I understand why you'd want to do that, but we have worked remotely as a, as a team for ourselves, uh, probably for the past six years, we were doing remote before COVID. So when COVID hit, we were already there. Um, you know, so it was really no different for us. Um, and I can get into COVID stories because that was probably one of the scariest times of my life when COVID hit being a real estate owner. Um, I didn't know what the hell was going to happen. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Totally. Yeah. Same here. Just like, am I going to get any of my rents? Do I still have to pay all the bills? And am I going to make any income as an agent or these other businesses? It just feels like there was a moment where you're like, am I going to be on the hook for $70,000 a month with no income? Oh man, look, Matt, I, I tell you, I was laying in bed with my wife the night before COVID. We had just got back from the Virgin Islands. We had a boat down there and we just got back from the Virgin Islands. I'm like, I'm making jokes on the internet and this is going to be so bad. I'm like drinking my Corona, like, oh, Corona, blah, blah, blah. You know, all the jokes everybody makes, you know? And, uh, and then I get back and then all of a sudden Brian's like, they're shutting down. Like everything's shutting down. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm throwing the news and I'm like watching and reading. I'm like, oh my goodness, is this real? And then it happened. And then all the first thing that came to my mind was, oh shit, if we're shutting down, it means nobody can go to work and who's going to pay rent. And then that was, uh, I, I, I laid over and I turned over to her and I said, what are we going to do if nobody pays any rent? So the next morning, the first thing I did was honestly, I called all my banks. I called every single banker I had. And I just said, look, I don't know what's going to happen. I was like, I can go six months. I got six months reserved to pay you and to pay all of our bills to keep going. 
But I was like, if this thing goes to a year where we have no income, I was like, at that point, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I was like, we don't plan for 12 months of no income on our entire portfolio. And, um, and so, you know, my banks actually, believe it or not, were very, very understanding. And I can proudly say that I paid every single note. We never missed one payment. Uh, we actually were early and I had a banker tell me a year later, actually told me, he said, Josh, we kept lending to you because he goes, you were the only real estate investor in our portfolio at the bank that didn't ask for an extension. And, uh, and he said, yeah, so he's like, that meant, he's like, that meant the world to us. And um, so they still lend to me till this day because of that, you know? Um, and yeah, so at any rate, uh, man, my the COVID stuff was scary. And, and the great thing was is that when I was looking at our, uh, I would look on my phone and I could see when the rents were, would come in, right? So, um, you know, that, this was like the 20th of the month when it hit. And then the 20th of the month, I'm like, okay, nobody made a payment. And all of a sudden, the 21st hit. And I saw like two or three trickle in. I'm like, okay. I'm like, maybe they just didn't watch the news. Maybe they don't know what's going on. And then like the 25th hit. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, all right, this isn't so bad. And all of a sudden, the rents just started flowing in. And I'm like, okay, well, then maybe this isn't as bad. So we actually, we got through it. And it ended up being okay. Totally. Yeah. So obviously you're, we're on hopefully what looks like the other side of this thing now. So where do you see yourself heading over say the next 12 to 18 months? Do you see yourself just continuing to start more businesses? Yeah. You know, um, honestly, I'm, I'm probably going to do a little bit of both. I'm continuing to expand our portfolio. We have a goal to hit 50 million in the next five years. So we're at 15 now. Uh, we've kind of mapped it out, worked backwards, reverse engineered it. And uh, so we want to hit 50 million in our portfolio in the next 15, I mean, next five years. And then it, total asset value. Yep. And, um, and then, um, and then, yeah. And then in addition to that, we'll probably acquire a couple more businesses along the way. Um, you know, one thing that I have found that I learned uh, from a mentor of mine um, is that it's, it's easier to acquire establishing businesses. I mean, established businesses than it is to acquire businesses. Uh, I mean, than it is to just open up a brand new business. Start. Yeah, build. Exactly. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so we're, we're looking at that as well. Uh, trying to see about, uh, you know, about maybe locking up some already acquired businesses, maybe on some seller financing and things like that. All right. There's a lot of teachers, gurus out there that are running ads to that effect. I've been seeing them all over my feed to buy established businesses at school. I think yeah. it's as these asset classes get more compressed and more competitive to buy, I think businesses are, there are a lot more to think about when you're buying. And so I think there's well, it's, kind it's of a like, new landscape. You know, you, you really start to think about it when you're like, okay, I can take $100,000 and put it into a property and it's going to give me 10% a year, or I can take a hundred thousand dollars and put into a business and it's going to turn out 20 to 30 percent you know it's like hmm mm -hmm. you know you, it start you know you start to wonder what makes you know what makes more sense now the key is going to be is to get an operator in place um you know in those businesses mm -hmm. so you can actually grow and scale like a true entrepreneur versus being going to go buy yourself a new job totally well and and you know i've always been geared towards real estate but i've watched some of these guys in the groups that i'm in do some roll-up strategies where essentially they're you know, buying lots of companies in a particular sector, roll it up to private equity and have eight, nine figure exits in a three year period. Like there's some things you could do in business that are really hard to replicate just in a real estate portfolio. Yeah. I've had people ask me all the time, Josh, what do you recommend buying real estate or businesses? And my answer to that is buy real estate, get a little foundation and then go out and start acquiring investing in businesses. Uh, that way you look better to the banks. You got more leverage. Um, you can borrow back against it. Uh, and then you can take your profits and keep reinvesting, doing cash out refinances, all that fun stuff, uh, and then keep going buying more businesses. And that's kind of 
that's our plan. That's essentially what we plan to do. Totally. Give us some idea of your background. I mean, like you're doing some awesome freaking stuff with businesses and real estate and portfolio. What kind of prepared you, equipped you for doing what you're doing? Man, I just, I didn't graduate college. I was horrible in high school, uh, had horrible grades. So I just had an entrepreneurial like spirit, man. I got like that fire in my veins, you know, just to give you like a little story, you know, another story, right? I, I went on a cruise uh, with my grandparents and I would go on the cruise ship and I, this was my first like taste of entrepreneurship. I went on a cruise and they would give you these little cruise cards, right? You know, you go around, you, I don't know if you've ever been on a cruise before, but you go around, you use these cards. With my grandparents. Yeah, totally. Love okay. it. You go Keep around, going. you swipe the card, you know, you can get anything and everything you want, you know? And uh, so I went on this cruise ship. I, my grandparents gave me the card so I could go and swipe and, and do what I want and, you know, buy what I want at the time. Well, I had friends that I made on the cruise ship that didn't have that access, didn't have that privilege. So they could not transact. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't buy anything. And that was for a reason, obviously. So I ended up, they ended up using my card to transact. So I would go and buy them some candy, swipe the card, and then they would pay me in cash, but they would give me like a dollar or $2 more. I would request that. Yeah, it's like, like not interest, but at the time I was like, you got to give me something extra, you know, like I, I couldn't do it for free. So they would do that. They'd pay me like a dollar or two dollars more. At the end of the cruise, I had like a $700 bill on my card. My grandparents were like flipping out. And I told my grandpa, I'm like, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. Here, here, here you go. And I gave him like a stack of cash. And he's like, where did you get that from? What happened? What did you do? And I was like, oh, well, my friends were using my card to buy the candy and uh, to, to buy the thing, the souvenirs on the ship. And they just paid me cash. And I ended up getting a couple of dollars extra for each one. And I don't know, I think I made a little money. So he like counted it out. I ended up making like a hundred hours on that over what I actually transacted on the card. So that was my first taste. And that's what my grandpa told me. He goes, look at you, you're like a little entrepreneur, you know? And so that was the first taste for me. And uh, I, I haven't looked back. I've always, I've always, I owned, I was a, a wedding DJ, I owned a wedding production company mm -hmm. um, for a short while. Oh uh, man, what a wild ride that was dealing with brides and uh, weddings and grooms. And uh, I got some stories from that, but uh, that was just, you know, again, it just goes, it goes to show you, like I've been, I've done a lot of things and I've been an employee. I've been a W2 guy uh, before this and I was a terrible employee. I got fired from every job I've been at. And the only thing I've actually been really good at is building teams, making money and uh, providing for other people. And uh, it's been a hell of a journey. It's been a fun ride. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Um, let's get deep into the strategy now. So why Burr? Why was that your chosen avenue to not only build your business, but to start teaching other people? Yeah, so uh, another story for you. Uh, so I, um, I, start, I found out about the Burr process uh, about 2010. 2007 and uh, eight is when I started real estate. I started right before the real estate crash. And I had cash, a little bit of cash saved up. And, uh, and I would, I was buying these properties. And so I ended up doing a, taking a side hustle job to save up for down payments. And I was constantly saving up money for down payments, but I mean, I was buying one property like every nine months. I mean, it was taking me forever to save up that 20, 30% down. So my wife looked at me one day and she's like, Josh, she was like, there's no way we are going to be able to retire if it's taken us nine months to buy one property. She's like, this is just impossible. How are people doing this? So I went over to my banker at, at the time and I was like, Hey, John. I'm like, man, what is going on? Like, how are your other people, how are your other investors doing this? And he's like, he looked at me and he said, Josh, he goes, have you ever heard of opium? I'm like, yeah, man, I know what opium is. I'm like, that's a drug. I'm like, come on, what, what are we talking about? <laughs> he's like, no, man, OPM, other people's money. And I'm like, okay, I still don't understand. 
He's like, Josh, you need to learn how to leverage other people's money to buy real estate. And then he kind of started talking to me about that. And he was like, he was showing me the bird method when it wasn't labeled the bird method. He was just showing me a process of how I could scale and how I could buy more properties, but I would have to put in the work by pushing up the values of the property, pushing up the rents, managing the property correctly so that I can stabilize it and it would be an attractive asset for the bank. So that's what I did. So uh, he kind of quasi showed me about the bird method. And then from there on, man, my portfolio just skyrocketed like overnight like that. We were doing, uh, we probably did from 2010 to 2022 to where we are now. I mean, we were popping off a million dollars a year easily and then slowly started ramping up even more and more. And now we're doing about a million every couple of months uh, in acquiring assets. So, um, you know, we're doing probably about five million a year or so um, in, uh, in asset value. And so... Uh, we're looking to do more, man, especially if we get some drops in the market. Uh, we plan to double down and get some more deals. So so let's talk about the market. So Burr, just walking through this, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, you're buying properties below market value, putting some money into them so you can create even more spread. The spread oftentimes is about the same, more or less, of what the, the loan's going to be. So you're basically getting free properties. Maybe you pay a little bit to get a property. Maybe you get more than you paid. But a lot of that depends on once it's stabilized, the income on the property pays the bills and gives you some cash flow. Now that the rate environment is different, that rates have gone from two, three, four, now we're in like six, seven, and eight for your investment types of loans. How are you guys still buying $5 million of assets with compressed cash flow scenarios? We're going, we're looking backwards at comps. Um, so when so we kind of we, we we saw the the Fed raising rates on the wall kind of early on, and uh, we already started looking backwards uh, for comps. So we're looking back, possibly sometimes even three years back, um, so that we're not we're not buying assets at a higher at like say for instance the last three months or six months valuation. Because if you're buying properties based on the last six months valuation, you're gonna get burned. Uh, it's gonna happen. I mean, we've already seen in our market median sales price has been doing this, and um, so it's coming down. Um, so we're looking even further back uh, and that allows us to buy properties. And look, we're not buying as many deals as we once were because we're pricing properties out at almost two, three years back. People are like, are you crazy? Like, you know, are you nuts. And uh, and it is what it is. But we have some people that understand they get it. And um, and then in addition to that, the market, I kind of I have a bunch of hard money lenders and national lenders and local banks. I kind of I feel like I got a good pulse on where we're going. Um not to say I got a crystal ball and know where we're going, but I feel like my crystal ball is telling me that we are leveling off when it comes to interest rates. I think if we get another report, CPI report next month in uh, for July, uh, I mean for August, and it comes back, uh, you know, again we have another drop in core inflation. Um, I think the Fed's going to maybe slow down in September. We're not going to go with that seventy-five point uh, basis uh, a rate hike. Maybe do a half a point. Uh, and then probably in November when they meet again, maybe a, a quarter of a point and then probably go neutral towards the beginning of the year. And I, I think I don't I don't say this often, but uh, I mean, the way it's going, there could possibly be a possible soft landing. Maybe I, I, I'm optimistic, but I don't know. I feel like they're 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 taking the, the right approach. Um, I'm probably one of the one of the guys that. Is probably you know out there saying that I think the Fed's doing they're doing what they need to do. I think they started a little bit too late, um, but I think they're catching up now and it's it's starting to work. It's coming down. It's dropping. Uh, the prices are coming down on the real estate, no doubt about that. 
Um, but then also too, if you look at the market side of the uh, the mortgages on the conventional side, those really aren't that bad. I mean, I was investing from 2008 till now, and a lot of people don't remember when rates were 8%, 9%. I mean, that's what I was paying for a, uh, a 20 year amortization local community bank loan. And I was I was happy as can be. I was high on the hog, you know? Um, that was when you could get the 2% rent to uh, purchase price ratio. Like that was like a normal thing, you know? Uh, but now mm-hmm. uh, that just that those numbers are, are long gone for the for the time being until prices kind of drop to reflect exactly yeah. obviously they yeah. won't probably drop the 2008 prices but they got to drop to reflect so we're talking about interest rates and and how it affects prices and so your projection Josh is essentially that you're gonna we're gonna potentially see a soft landing assuming they kind of increment up rates and the consumer price reports going to indicate that inflation's dropping. No, I was just going to say that, you know, I, I'm not an economist. I didn't graduate high school. I mean, not high school. I didn't graduate college, you know, so I, I'm not, you know, I just, I see, I'm going off of data that I see in the market every day. Like people are always saying like, you know, watch out for the clickbait, watch out for those things. I'm just looking at data that I see in my marketplace every single day. Love it. And we're seeing incredibly similar things in our markets. I mean, obviously inventory is skyrocketing, which is why, there's all of these thought processes, projections on things. But it seems like if they get inflation under control, that it might not be as crazy as people are. Yeah, and look, in that, it, it's an ele- it's going to be an election. I mean, election time is coming up too, you know? So as much as people think, you know, th- th- there's a lot more at play than, you know, than people really are... Um, than thinking. I mean, the economy may crash after the election, um, but it may, they mm-hmm. don't want this thing to crash before the election. I can guarantee you. <laughs> that is for sure. Absolutely, without a doubt. Um, let, let's talk a little bit more about your boot camp. So you said like the big difference is you guys teach vertical integration. So you teach other people how to acquire businesses like you have, or do you let them tie into your businesses? Yes. Yeah, so, or, or give me an idea how that works. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 you know, we touch on the real estate stuff, you know, so we, you know, our philosophy is that we want them to invest in real estate, but also we want them to open up certain entities so that they can one manage their real estate, they can manage their rehabs, uh, and then they can do those things so that they can create efficiency and scale uh, when it comes to buying real estate through the Burr method. Um, now, when it comes to like buying, you know, uh, you know, landscaping companies and doing all that jazz, probably a little beyond what we can do in the Burr Bootcamp, but we give them a high level view of what's possible, how they can integrate it, how they can do it, and, and be successful at it. So uh, yeah, the boot camp is is great because uh, we we touch on a bunch of different things. We do we have four ways um, on how you can generate ten thousand dollars, five to ten thousand dollars from every single transaction uh, that you do. Uh, we have pot, we have ways where you can do deals with no money down, creative financing. Uh, we do lease options. I mean, we do uh, sub two. Uh, we actually do all that inside of the Burr Boot Camp. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's really exciting. We we touch on a lot of different things, but our main bread and butter is the Burr process. Um, but we also know that, you know, you can also do other things when a potential motivated seller presents itself. So we don't want them to just say, okay, we're going strictly burr and if we can't do the burr, we're moving on. No, you, you want to be able to try mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, make sure you can do pivot and do other, um, other opportunities to acquire a piece of real estate. Absolutely. And then Josh, if the audience were to get a hold of you, what would be the best way for them to reach out? Yeah. So, uh, great, man. Uh, that would be just burrbootcamp.com. That's B-R-R-R-R bootcamp.com. Uh, we have all of our information on there uh, about the boot camp and our upcoming uh, events. We actually have also one to mention too. We have a next deal mastermind uh, in New Orleans, so we're host, uh, we're hosting a big event in New Orleans. We got about sixty real estate entrepreneurs from all around the country that are coming together. We got great speakers. Uh, we're doing an '80s party one night, um, so really really fun time. Um, uh, two days jam packed. We're going to do a bus tour as well. We're going to tour properties. Uh, how we do our bird process. 
uh, live and in person. And uh, September 29th and 30th, uh, just go check it out. Uh, it's at nextdealmastermind.com. Absolutely fantastic stuff. So we'll have all that information in the show notes for you, Josh, so they could reach out to you and they could go attend that event that you have because it sounds like it'll be a lot of fun. Um, Josh, we want to sincerely thank you for coming on to our show, giving us a, a glimpse of your life and your business and to everybody else out there chasing freedom. Freedom is acquired one action at a time. If you do nothing else, just write down one action from today and make sure to implement that in the next seven days and share it with somebody you know that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you again for tuning into today's episode and we'll catch you on the next one. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 